Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I invite you to go with me in your Bibles, and we're going to go to Zechariah. Zechariah. It's not always a book that you go to to read frequently. It's not like, uh, you know, the book of Romans or one of the Gospels. Zechariah is a book that is often misunderstood and overlooked. Zechariah, we're going to begin at verse 1. We're doing, continued, doing life together and specifically today, surrendering your future. Zechariah chapter 1, let's read it, verse 1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Edo. The Lord was very angry with your fathers. This is what the Lord gave him. The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here it is. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you says the Lord Almighty. Can I read that last verse? This is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. So Father in heaven, open up the understanding of your word. May your word become clear and give direction to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The month was November. The year was 520 B.C. 520 B.C. Not A.D., B.C. 520 B.C. It's an Old Testament story where the children of Israel, the Jewish people, the people that God had raised up in order to carry His covenant for century upon century upon century, that Century upon century had passed, and the people continued to walk away from God. God had promised all these great promises. We talked in the last few weeks of worship. We started with Abraham, the altars. We went to Moses. We were talking of the power of worship. And yet the people continued to wander. Not all of them, but many of them. The vast majority turning their back on, turning their back on God. And God gave warning through the prophets. You hear of it. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel prophesying, if you do not turn back to me, God, you will not continue to be blessed by me. You must turn back. I must become your Lord. You can't simply prostitute yourself to every other thing out there and expect my continued abiding presence with you. Last week, we talked about God has a habitat where he abides. Turn back to me. And you read through the prophets. And that's why the prophets. And, and I purpose to read. I was just sharing with Lori yesterday. That the Old Testament is important. It's a, harsh, it's a harsh number of books. But when you read through the Old Testament. It helps you to understand the depravity of sin. Because in the New Testament. Now we get why the work of the cross was so important. And so marvelous. But we won't understand the depth of it. If we don't understand how the Old Testament the nature of man, and the depravity of sin, Old Testament. The people turned away from God. They continued after warning, after warning, after warning. 
And the key word in the Bible in the Old Testament was they kept refusing God. God kept I give you an opportunity, and they refuse. I give you an opportunity, I refuse. There comes a point in time when people keep refusing you, you quit. There comes a point in time there's no more to work with. Their heart is too hard that you've got nothing to work with anymore. It's not that you're not gracious and you would forgive. There's nothing to forgive. They have utterly and totally turned away. And the people did that. And so they were wiped out. By two segments of time, the Assyrians in the earlier days in the 700s, and then in the 500 BC by the Babylonians. Now, you understand a little bit of it when you go to the book of Daniel. When you read of Daniel and you hear of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were taken off into captivity. That's the time where they lost everything. And Israel ceased to be a nation. They were annihilated. People were taken away. They were wiped out. The land was taken over, city was destroyed, not one, not one brick left on top of itself. It was utterly destroyed. People taken away into Babylon and spread throughout that great Roman Empire during that period of time of exile. But the prophets had prophesied, saying, and as a matter of fact, Jeremiah, I was just reading it this week, Jeremiah, I think it was in 33, 34, 32, somewhere in there, where Jeremiah was told to buy property in Israel. He did. And then he was told to take the deed and put it into a bottle and save it. And God spoke to him and said, one day the people will come back. This is even before they got wiped out. Because people were still saying, oh no, we're God's children. God will always protect us. But when you turn away from God, you turn away from the only source that can never give you life. They lost their life in Israel. Seventy years later, they would come home. And this is the time, this is the time of the writing. This is the time where Zechariah, 520 B.C., a month after another prophet by the name of Haggai, gave a second prophecy. So these prophets overlap each other. And Haggai is giving a prophecy at the same time. He gives a second prophecy to the people of Israel. And then Zechariah rises up. Zechariah is a young buck. He's the new guy. But God stirs his heart and he rises into the prophetic movement and he begins to speak into the moment and this is what he says. He raises Zechariah up, a young man, in order to help with the message of Haggai to encourage the people. Here's what was happening. They were coming back into Jerusalem, thousands of them, and the first order of business was to rebuild the place of worship. And so they began to build the temple would take a few years. They began to rebuild the temple. It was a daunting job. They began to rebuild the temple, and at first they were pretty excited, kind of like us, the first Sunday back. My goodness, it's a giddy moment. First Sunday back, seeing people for the first time in over three months, and just being able to hear each other and to sing together and to pray together, to be together and to look and to see another body. And so the people got back and they began to reacquaint themselves. Again, probably, I mean, these are the great-grandchildren of those that went. So the, most of the first generation, most of the first generation had died. They're coming back, they're rebuilding the temple. This is the time of Zechariah. If you go to the book of Zechariah, it's, it's one of the longer books of the minor prophets. The first six chapters contains eight night visions given during the first two years when they were rebuilding the temple. So during two years, there's eight visions Zechariah gets for it. You can read it in the book of Zechariah. These visions are encouraging over and over the people to look at what they are doing in light of God's plan to bring greater restoration and a great future. So they're walking over rubble. 
They're rebuilding this temple. It's a difficult job. It's heartbreaking. They're putting block upon block back in place. And so these visions, these words of Zechariah from God to the people is saying, keep your eyes on the bigger picture. Keep your eyes on the bigger picture. You know what? Keep your eyes. If, you, if you're into sports and you're into team playing, you got to know that if it's in hockey, the first period does not necessarily determine the game. You got to know in baseball, the first inning does not determine the game. You got to be able to recognize the, four, the first quarter does not determine the game. You got to keep your eye on the end. There's a bigger picture involved. And so they're putting block upon block, and they began to grow discouraged. As time went on, they grew more and more discouraged. And so these visions were to say, keep your eye on God's bigger picture. He's got a big plan of restoration. They could not have ever known in entirety of what it would have looked like when Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would have come. What a picture. They could not have known 1948 when Israel would become a nation again. They could not have known that. Except, except, God said, keep your eye on the bigger picture. There's a bigger picture there's restoration coming. So keep your eyes looking forward. They did not know or see the first coming of Jesus. They could not have known or seen that he is coming also in the second coming. We're still waiting for that today. Praise the Lord. He is coming again. It's called the second coming when he will call his church home. God's message with Zechariah begins with the call. And so Zechariah 1, 1. There's where we were reading it. And we begin again. Let me just read it. We're going to go back to Zechariah 1.1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Edo. The Lord was very angry with your forefathers. Okay, that day's gone. Tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Note in here, he mentions the word Almighty three times. When he mentions, the, there's many names to God, but this is the one chosen. In other words, he can do anything. So remember the Lord that can do anything. In other words, be thinking about a God that can do anything. The Lord who can do anything says to you, you people, return to me. Come home. Come back. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return. I promise I'll return to you too. Because for all those years, it appeared he had forsaken them. I'm coming back. <laughs> Praise. It must, have been a, it must have been quite a moment. I'll return to you. Return to me and I'll return to you. That's what we want to talk about here for a few minutes this morning. Returning. So it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek message because we've just returned. I had actually prepared this message long before I knew that we would actually be returning today. And it was like, whoo this is fun. Because we actually get to do it in person. Return to me. But it's much bigger than this pandemic. It's much bigger than coming back to church. It's much bigger than that. Someone once asked the question, how do you survive on those days when bad news has to wait in line just to talk to you? What do you do when your child says who you poured your life into and you would give your life for, when your child says to you, I hate you and will have nothing to do with you. How do you get back on your feet 
When your spouse who stood at the altar, looked into your eyes and said they would promise to be faithful for life, turns to you and says, I want out of the marriage. What do you do? How do you resurrect hope when your doctor says, I'm sorry, but there is no more hope for you? Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, Jesus said, God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, Jesus here isn't talking about, you know, springtime showers bring May flowers. He's not talking about that. He's referring to when you face devastation, when your life is overcome in devastation, bad news, hopelessness is the key phrase, hopelessness. No, he's talking about devastating floods that threaten to sweep the very foundation out from under your feet. And it doesn't leave sweet flower fragrance. It leaves the stench of mold. You're drowning. You're suffering. You're up against the wall. You feel you have nowhere to turn. You're overwhelmed. There's times, and they're infrequent, thank the Lord, but times in... Lori in my life, we'll come to a situation where it's, where it's overwhelming. And our phrase is, I'm done. <laughs> Even though you know you probably can't be done. But you just, you, I'm done. I have nothing in my tank left to give. There's nothing left. It's these moments. This is Zechariah 1.1. It's the heart of Zechariah. The temple, they had begun to rebuild the temple. There were traces of hope. However, everywhere they turned, they were dealing with bad neighbors. Trusted advisors had left them short. Spiritual leaders had forsaken them. Everything kept falling short. To know what God was doing for them, he had called them, and yet everything seemed helpless. And so here's what was happening. Out of their heart, they kept saying, why bother? Why bother? Why bother? Why bother? Why bother building this? It's only going to be destroyed anyway. Why bother building a house? What's the point? Why bother trying to help in my re reconcile my children back again to the family? Why bother going through chemo in a situation where you've been given that devastating news? Why bother trying to work out a reconciliation plan with that person? Because it's just, it's, it looks impossible. Why bother? Why bother? It's that word, why bother? And so over and over, all they see, why bother? Zechariah chapter 1. Why bother? It's where God speaks. Return to your task of serving God, he says. Return to this task of serving God. You've gotten off course. You've become busy. You've become distracted. Life has crept in. God says, return to me. Would you give me your everything? Would you give me your heart again? Would you give me your worship again? Would you give me your life, your trust, your deeds, your heart? Give me that. And watch me return to you. You need me. But start by coming this way. So here's the big question. How do you return? So I thought one of the best persons who could probably ever answer this is a person who was the ultimate return person in the, Old, in the New Testament. His name is Lazarus. <laughs> he returned 
Okay, there's a good story. You know the story of Lazarus? We pick it up, John chapter 11. We're going to read it in just a second. Lazarus, he died and returned. Now, that doesn't happen every day. And I'll be quite frank with you. It's really a freaky thing if somebody does return from the dead. He returned from the dead. So I'm going to go to Lazarus because there's some fundamental pictures here that I think are fundamental today. How do I return when it seems hopeless? Jesus, or, or God Almighty said to the people of Israel, return to me and I'll return to you. So we pick up the story in John chapter 11. Let's follow together verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. Now, pause here. Lazarus had died four days ago. Jesus, it took that long to get to the tomb. He's buried, he's mummified, been wrapped, placed in the tomb, stone rolled in front. He's, he's dead and gone. Family's been doing the whole, they typically for like a whole week long, they have food and stuff as they grieve over the death of a loved one. So that's going on back at the home. It's day upon day of grieving and, and food and, and people would care for one another. It was their wake. John chapter eleven thirty eight. 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Remember, they don't embalm back then. Verse 40. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. 43. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 44. Now, we don't know how much time took place there. 44. The dead man came out, his hands, his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, the people around the tomb, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Lazarus, he's our man this morning. A man known as a friend of Jesus, died prematurely. If only Jesus had reached him. If only Jesus had come quickly when he was notified Lazarus was at death's door. But Jesus didn't. And so he died. How do you return from death? Big question. How do you return from death? Because this is exactly, this is exactly how people feel. This is what this message this morning is. This is what the message of Zechariah is. It's the returning from death. When you've lost all hope, the door is closed, the stone's rolled over, the key is thrown away. It's basically you're living, but you're not. How can we turn? It's hopeless. It's hopeless. Now, I'm not going to ask how many have situations that feel that, but I know there are many. Probably many now more than we've had in a long time because of a lot of circumstances. This feels, why bother? Why bother? So what happens next? Well, I want to suggest Lazarus' story can be my story. Lazarus' story can be your story. No, I'm not talking about when you die, you're going to come back again. 
I'm talking about the symbolism of death. When something no longer seems of any hope. When all hope is lost, Jesus is here. I want you to go with me for a while. I have a personally, I have a vivid imagination. How many, how many here have a vivid imagination? Would you testify to that? You have a vivid imagination. Just Pastor Trish and myself and Carla. Okay. Well, the rest of you, oh, you too. Okay. Okay. So put on your imagination caps. Okay. Ready? Imagination. Here we go. Imagine what it was like for Lazarus to come back to life. Imagine what it was like for Lazarus. Now, I don't know. I'm imagining. When his heart started back up again, blood started circulating again, and he's in that dark, cold, dingy tomb. What was the first thing that came to his mind? Was it the last words that he heard spoken? Was it that he was upset with Jesus? Like, Jesus, if you'd gotten here, I thought we were friends. Jesus, you, like, you, you heal people and you didn't do it. Were those his last thoughts? When he comes to, what was on his mind? No idea. But I'm imagining. Was his imagination, was he remembering the pain? Because now, he doesn't feel any pain. Did he know he died? Does he have any idea he was gone for four days? I'm imagining here. I don't know. We don't have an answer. I'm just imagining, so are we. What was going through? Did he hear? Could he? Was it resounding the words of people having spoken? Were people, you know, leaning over him? Hey, it's going to be okay. You know, it's going to be okay. Were those his last words? Or was he hearing people whisper in the room? Boy, he doesn't look good. I don't think he's going to come out of this. What are we going to do when he's gone? You know, did he hear all of it? What do you hear when you die? Because were those the thoughts that came back to him when he came to? Was it simply he's hearing his name called Lazarus? And he's, yeah, that's Jesus. Does time seem like, to, like only, only a second passed? We don't know. Here he is, though, having been dead for four days, grave clothes around, and they mummified back then, so that it's like it's caked in wrappings all over your body. Your arms are tucked in close, your legs are together, wrappings around the body. Did he realize what happened? Only thing we know for, for certain is when Jesus called out, Lazarus, come, come out, that he began to stir. We know that for sure. Because he did eventually come out. He began to stir. He would have been, have laid, been laying down on a portion of the cave where he would have been set. And he heard the words, come out, come out. I imagine Lazarus getting to his feet. Again, I'm imagining. How did he get to his feet? He can't use his hands. They're all squeezed in. He's wrapped up. His legs are wrapped up. And it's dried. So it's like, you know, stiff. How in the world did he ever get to his feet? I have no idea. I guess I don't need to know. But he makes his way to his feet. And the tomb is black. It's a cave with the... It's, Right? And so, well, I guess there's light coming in the door because the stone's been rolled back. So he hears the voice. He must be able to see the direction of the light. And it would have had to have been a shuffle because his legs are together. Okay, come on. So the practical stuff, he has to get out of the tomb. 
Nobody came and got him. He had to get out. Lazarus, come out. So what we do know is he made his way out. He did the little baby step, baby step, baby step, baby step, baby step, baby step. Go to the voice, go to the voice, go to the light, go to the light. Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. Baby steps. Because the reality is he's alive, but he's still covered in death. That's the reality. He's alive, but he's still covered in death. I'm sure when he got to the mouth of the cave, that would have been something. I imagine it got noisy around the mouth of the cave. People shouting, he's alive, he's alive, look, look, I see him. Hey, take a look, look. Just imagine it, everybody buying for their first look at him. But he doesn't feel alive. You see, he's still bound. He's still all wrapped up. His destiny is still in doubt the way he is right now. He cannot look after himself right now. He is bound. He's alive, but he's really not. Would he merely survive death or would he truly return? Here's the question. Because there's too many people who have a heartbeat that are surviving death, but they're not really living anymore. There's a difference between surviving death and living. We know that, right? He is surviving death, but is that all there is for Lazarus? Because it's not truly living yet. And the point is that sometimes you and I, sometimes we can survive a crisis, listen, survive a crisis, only to go on the rest of our life living in limbo land. Just limbo. We just really wish we would die too. If the truth be told. Perhaps it's because you made a mistake. Perhaps it's the sin of your past that has dashed your dreams of your future. And hope seems useless to ever fully return. Lazarus that day was breathing. And we can assume he could see. We can assume he can hear because he made it to the mouth of the tomb. But he was still separated from what life is by a remnant of death. He's separated by the remnant of death. Freedom of movement's not his. He cannot communicate. And any opportunity to feel the comforting touch of others were still out of the question. He's alive. At least he's escaped death. But he's not really alive. I wonder if at that moment it crossed Lazarus' mind, will I ever slip back to what I just was? Will I ever go back to that place of darkness, whatever that was? If someone doesn't set me free, I have no life yet. When Jesus calls us to return to life, listen, he calls us to full restoration. This is Zechariah chapter 1, where Zechariah says, return to me, and I'll return to you. In other words, you need to see a bigger picture, guys. You're putting block upon block of this new temple back together again, but you've got to see this is bigger than that. This is way bigger than that. You're part of something great. And the word return to me, I'll show you what that greatness is. I'll take you there. Return to me. You may have given your life over to Jesus as Lord and Savior. You may be rejoicing in the joy of your salvation. But sin, maybe frustration, things are still binding you. Things in your life are not back to what they should be. And here you are today. You feel like your hands are bound. Your feet are bound. You're bound. 
What's the use? Why bother? Why bother? And it gets the question ultimately it comes to all of us here today. Are you ready to do more than exist? That's the question. Wayne, are you ready to do more than exist? Lazarus was alive, but was he really living? He was existing. I want to take you now to a second text in John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus speaks and he says this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. Many of us know that part. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. I want you to pick up on the last half now. But I, Jesus, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Now I want you to notice in this sentence here, the last half of it, where the comma is. Let's reread it. The last part. I have come that you may have life, comma, and have it to the full. Here's my question to all of us today. Perhaps you are living on the wrong side of the comma. Perhaps you're living on the wrong side of the comma. Life before the comma is existence. Life after the comma is fully returned. What side of the comma will we choose? Will I exist? I've come that you may have life, but that's not enough. I'm still in grave clothes. I'm still bound. I'm still not able to experience all that God has for me. That's the word through Zechariah. Return to me, said the Lord. Return to me fully. And I'll return to you. Return to me, and you'll live in the back half of the comma. Full life is what happens after the comma. The life where not only are you breathing, but now you're loosed, you're unbound, you're set free. You're now back in your living room with your loved ones. Life is where you have returned. It's interesting here in the story, Jesus turns to the friend when Lazarus gets to the mouth of the tomb. And he turns to the friends and he said, would you let him go? You know, you're jumping around, shaking and high-fying each other. He's still not yet free. Guys, let him go. Unwrap him. Set him free so he can fully return. One of the most beautiful acts of restoration is when others realize what God is doing and take the last remnants of grave clothes off one another. You are not just forgiven by God, but forgiven by others as well. Praise the Lord. It's at this point that you realize your past no longer holds you hostage to your past. One of the greatest liberations. My past doesn't hold me. I have a future. The Lord's future. So they unwrap Lazarus. And when this was done, we have to believe the rags drop at the mouth of the tomb and he returns to his house. And here's what likely happened. He returns to a house filled with food and gifts. <laughs> They're his. Right? They're his. We're not told the rest of the story about the custom. He would go back and enjoy the food about his death. He's going to fill up his belly with good old food and he is going to enjoy the gifts that were brought because when you return, God never does anything halfway. And so when he left the grave clothes, the things of the past at the mouth of the tomb, he goes back to the living room and celebrates with food and festivities and joy, the joy of the Lord. That's a picture of restoration. 
That's the picture is what, is what, I, what I'm believing for. That's the picture of Zechariah saying, guys, you've come back into the city. Yes, you started to lay the foundation, but guys, return. And I'll return to you. You will see things you never believed. Return to me. I've personally come to the place in life now that uh, heroes in my life are not those that didn't fail. Most of the heroes in my life are those that failed and came back. Those are my heroes today. It's not those that never failed, those that had picture-perfect lives. It's those that, that messed things up and they, they, they made a whole comeback. To them, they're my heroes. Hebrews chapter 11 is an entire chapter of, he, of heroes. Hebrews chapter 11, quickly, I'm going to read verse. It, it's, it's hero after hero. These are on God's mantle of men and women who were heroes of the faith, who carried faith in times of failure. And you read of them. But we get to Hebrews eleven thirty two, 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Verse 33. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions. And on he goes. Now it's amazing in these names. Well, I always, I, in my Bible, I've got a lot of circles around the name Samson. Because he grieves me in so many ways, his story. In so many ways. You read through the book of Judges and, and he had so many chances. Sam, how could you be so stupid? Over and over again, right? He grieves me. But I've circled it so many times in the book of Hebrews because there he is. There he is. He made so many mistakes and his name is in the Hall of Faith claim. This listing in Hebrews is not just of those who never fell. The purpose of this list is to show also those who returned. That's the point. They returned. In hopelessness, they turned back to God fully, and God turned to them. Heaven made sure Samson's name was included, and if heaven made sure his name was included in the book of Hebrews chapter 9, then guess what? So can yours. So can yours, no matter what we've been through, no matter what you've done, no matter where you are this moment, your name could be there too. Believe it. Despite his moral failure with Delilah, he made the list. Why else would such a failure show up in the hall of fame, Hebrews 11? It seems there is hope for us sinners whose hearts were one way at one time turned away who come home, who come back. Who fully return. There's hope. How long did Samson wait to make the one good decision that, record, that reversed the course of his blindness? It took forever, didn't it? Remember, he had his hair shaved off and had to grow long again. Now, some of you, you know how your hair looks like after 15, 16 months of not getting a cut. Some of you, I testify to that right here. Well, in order for it to go for my hair... To long hair, it's going to take more than a pandemic or two. A long time. Here's the point. Blind, slave, hopelessness all those years. But his heart was repositioned. His heart had returned. And yet you didn't see it right away. Time goes tick, 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 tick. It goes. It continues. And yet, here he is. Here he is. It reversed. God gave him blessing. 
God returned to him. The one that caused his name, God brought his name, dusted Samson's name off. The last we heard of him back in Judges, oh, you know, it was pretty bad shape. But here he is, but in the book of Hebrews, God dusted his name off, shined it up, stuck it back on the display shelf among all the other Hall of Famers. There's Samson. Restored. Fully restored. Praise God. If you happen to glance again at God's Hall of Fame book in Hebrews, you will find the unlikely hero, Samson. And when you look at where his name is, it's inserted between some of the most unlikely. He's right in the middle. On one side of him is Captain Gideon. You read the story of Gideon, mighty man of war, captain of the army. Whoa, he's right beside Gideon. And on the other side of him is King David, the greatest king Israel has ever known. And next to him is Samuel the prophet. One of the greatest prophets. And there are you, right in the middle. Your name right in the middle. When he returns, he returns. He returns. So Zechariah 1.3. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty. I can do it, he says. And I will return to you, says no, the Lord Almighty. I can do this. John 10.10. 10, I have come that you might have life. Now let's live it to the other side of the comma and have it to the full. Lord, that's where I'm going to live. Return so I can have life to the full. I believe you. I believe you. If Samson's name can show up there, my name can show there too. I return. There's a song. It says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Amazing love now flowing down from hands and feet that were nailed to the tree as grace flows down from Almighty God. As grace flows down, it covers me. I want to pray for you. Let's believe God for a return. <laughs> Not just a return out of pandemic. Let's believe God for a return of everything the enemy has stolen from us from everything that has caused hopelessness, from all those moments where you said, why bother? Why bother? And the word of Zechariah, the word that went to the people, is the same word that comes to us today. If you return to me, I'll return to you. So let's turn our hearts. It's not given. Note it's not a given. It's not, okay, I'll wait for it, Lord. No, I'm going to go after God. I'm going to seek Him with all my heart, with all my strength, with all my understanding. I will seek Him with everything in me. All that I am, I seek Him. And if you not just say it, but you do it, that means you change your priorities, change your points of interest, change some of those things in your life that you place God back on that mantle of first. You do that in your life. Watch what He will do as He returns to you. He'll bring back life and life to the full. Life to the full. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.